Namahiya Tefano and welcome to Code with Kingy's fifth round recap of Super Rugby, where this week I'm only covering three games, the first of which was the Highlanders and the Rebels, where the Australian franchise held on to beat the Landers 28-22 after leading the game 21 points to nil. The first try for the visitors came from a set-piece move, with first five Matt Moore offloading to second five Billy Meeks, who then showed great strength and balance to brush off James Lynchies and carry Josh Mackay over the line. Kiwi hooker Anandurangi scored his team's next five off the back of a line-out drive, but it was winger Andrew Calloway's try that looked to set the game apart for the Landers after only being a quarter of the way through the game. This came after nine continuous phases from the Landers inside enemy territory, where they then went to push the ball wide out the back of a pod. Running the cutter, Mitch Hunt received the ball out the back and looked to push the ball wide to Josh Iwani, only the execution was off and the ball bounced into Calloway's mitts, who raced away to score. Mackay got his team on the board only minutes later though, after a clever kick from Iwani into the 22 of the Rebels was then won back with some great counter-racking. The ball was then put through the hands and of course the winger was the last recipient and he cut back in to score his first in 2020. Struggling to find much cohesion in the opening half, the Landers needed a spark before the break and to get themselves back into the game. And then much to the delight of those in the zoo, Aaron Smith found his way over the chalk after some slick hands from Ash Dixon put Siasoni Tokolahi through a hole who then found Jesse Parite, who then did his best Benji Marshall impersonation with a no-look flick pass, back to his nine, and he then swanned over over the chalk. The Rebels scored the first try in the second half via a 60-meter intercept from Callaway at the 50-minute mark, pushing the lead back up to 14. Reserve outside back Scott Gregory cut the deficit back to nine with his own meat pie 10 minutes later, and Iwani added the extras to make it a one-score game. The host did have an opportunity to tie up the game, though, with a line-out 20 metres out from the goal line, but just as they'd done all night, they failed to execute with their own throw and the ball was booted into touch. Staying on the subject of lineups, though, the Highlanders misfired on five of their own attempts, the most costly obviously being with the last play of the game. This would then contribute to the shortage of quality ball for the backs, who were forced to do their damage solely off phase play. As for numbers 9 through 15, though, they weren't flashed themselves and were to blame for three of the four tries conceded. Their persistence with throwing it wide, even in the face of a rushing defensive line, resulted in two runaway tries, and poor reads in the midfield gave the Rebels the momentum they needed to get over the game line. Now, head coach Aaron Major has said that he's going to stick with the dual playmakers at 10-12, only for me, I think his stubbornness may cost his troops a chance at playoff footy, if Iwani doesn't adapt to his new role quickly. I agree that he has all the tools to play 12, but having never defended in the midfield, especially at this level, without any prior experience, is a tall task. Now, the few highs among the large pile of lows were youngsters Marino, Makailitu and Parete, who rucked up 25 tackles between them and just under 100 running metres. In the backs, Smith had a good night despite throwing that pick, and John Nareki continued his fine form with 80 running metres, two clean line breaks and half a dozen tackles. I'd also like to pass on my well wishes and the hope of a fast recovery to skipper James Lynchies, who suffered a horrible leg break during the game. Again, my thoughts are with you, man. Less than 24 hours later though, the Hurricanes were hosting the Sunwolves at McLean Park, with the home team running in 10 tries and romping the Japanese outfit 62-15. Similar to their match against the Chiefs two weeks ago, the Wolves got on the, fo- got on the board first when lock Mike Stolberg ran a nice inside line off a diamond setup, 
and cantered away to score right next to the posts. Man of the match, Cobus Van Wyck, crossed the whitewash for the Canes first after cutting back in after a good set of hands, and then provided the line break for his team's next try when he bumped off centre Keisuke Moroya in the build-up to chase Tia Tia's first dot. He and Van Wyck scored the next two tries and set the hosts up with a 28-10 lead at the interval. The Hurricanes scored two more tries within the first three minutes to start the half, the first of which went to Ben Lamb and the second going to skipper TJ Perinara. The latter's try came from a break inside their own 22 from Fletcher Smith, with the ball then finding the lively Asafuamua down the left flank with 50 metres between him and the line. The cover defence had the angle though and appeared to have saved the day when the hooker failed to draw him past his support. Thankfully for Almoa though, his offload from the deck found his nine who crossed over in the corner. Hometown boy Gareth Evans got a try in front of his whanau after receiving a basketball pass from fellow Lucy Vifafita 10 from the goal line, and Van Vick nabbed his hat-trick with the next score after a bounce pass from Duplessis Karifi was regathered by Vince Asor, who drew in the last man for a try to his outside back. Nani Lamapi and Asor would both get on the score sheet before the game's end, as well as Sunwolves winger Siosaya Fafita. It was a great spectacle for those in attendance in Napier, and head coach Jason Holland will be happy with how his team converted scoring opportunities into points. Their offloading was on point, and there was always somebody there in support when a try was begging. There were a few defensive lapses though, namely the two tries they considered just off a ruck and a scrum, but their speed and shape as a line as a whole was pretty good. Like I've sort of touched on in the past, it's sort of hard to provide any further analysis when half the contest was a game of touch, and it's always tough to pick out the best individuals when hardly anyone put a foot wrong for the dominant side. In saying that though, Locke Scott Scrafton won't have his name in the headlines but did a lot of the dirty work which allowed for the likes of Laomapi and Arsenal to run for over 200 clicks and beat a whopping 11 defenders. Outsides Tia Tia and Van Vick were also special on Saturday as they combined for 27 points, 150 run metres and 7 line breaks. Last up, again with the Blues, who provided the upset of the season so far with their 33-14 win over the previously undefeated Stormers. English import Joe Marchant claimed the Auckland-based side's first dot after a pirouette from Stephen Petofeta ended in a line break, with the fullback only needing to work a 2-on-1 for the 5 points. The visitors backed their try up 10 minutes later when Dalton Papali'i dove over in the corner after collecting a perler of a cutout pass from TJ Fayani. Throw in three penalties and two conversions to Autity Black and the score would then read 20-0 in the Blues' favour. The Stormers would strike back though with two throws of their own from number 8 Juana Augustus and wing Sergio Peterson to bring them back to within six, but the away side landed an important blow on the stroke of half time when Marchant wriggled over in the right corner. Now it all started on the opposite side of the field when Mark Salia palmed off Springbok halfback Herschel Yanchis twice before making his way infield to sniff out a gap. He then passed to Tom Robinson, where the ball then went through three sets of hands before landing in the Englishman's fingers, and, like I said, he crossed over in the corner. There were no tries after the Oranges in Cape Town, with only the six points to the Blues coming from the boot of Black, who went seven from seven from the tee. Now, this was by far the best performance of the season from the boys in blue, who, as well as getting off to a fast start, also showed great composure in the second 40 to keep the Stormers scoreless. Their aggression in the contact area, led by skipper Patrick Toipolotu and man of the moment Hoskins Satutu, appeared to stun the hosts and was a big reason why there was space out wide for their backs to attack. Midfielders Fayani and Rico Iwani were excellent and looked to be the combination head coach Leon McDonald will go with moving forward. While you could argue that their games are similar with balls in hand, 
Defensively, they look the part and in time should learn the other's tendencies to know which lines to run when the other carries. The kicking from playmakers Black and Perofeta was another talking point as the two pivots provided accurate clearances and deft nudges to both relieve and apply pressure. Above all though, the discipline and structure shown by the Blues after half fun was outstanding and I have to say, it came as quite a shock considering what they had mustered up in previous weeks. Like I've said over the past fortnight, the effort and intent from McDonald's men has always been there, but their lack of direction and execution at crucial stages has let them down and really cost them a win in round one. I'm not going to get too carried away with this morning's result, only I've always said that I'm going to deliver praise when it's due and this is definitely deserved considering the performance they put on. Now we'll just have to wait and see if they can back it up next week against the Hurricanes. Moving on to my Timo Otewiki, Team of the Week, and my Kaitakaro Otewiki, Player of the Week. In the front row, I've gone with the big man Carl Tuanukuafe and his hooker Kurt Eklund, and they are then joined by Hurricane Tyrell Lomax, who again looks to be the sort of cornerstone for the Hurricanes at set piece. In the locks, I've gone with the wild man Jesse Parate, who has backed up his last week's performance with another strong one. And skipper for the Blues, Patrick Tuipilotu gets the 5 jersey after a aggressive and dominant display. At blindside, I've gone for the ranging Vaifafita. At open side, I've gone with the young all-black Dalton Papali'i. And at number 8, I've gone for the ever-impressive Marino Makailitu'u. At 9, TJ Perinara gets the jersey back, while at 10, Otiri Black backs up last week's performance with another strong one. And then in the midfield, I've gone for the Hurricanes pairing of Nani Lamapi and Vince Asor. On the left wing, I've gone with Mark Talia, who despite getting a yellow card, was again lively with ball in hand, and was always sort of looking for work. And then at 14 and 15, you guessed it, I've gone with Kobus Funwick and Chase Tiatia. Now this week's standout player for me was the Hurricanes debutant Kobus Funwick. The South African winger bagged himself a hat-trick against the Sunny Wolves, while also delivering a number of well-timed tackles. His work rate off the ball was just as impressive as his nose for the line, as he was constantly in the thick of the action. As I touched on in the recap, there's only so much you can take away from blowouts, but Van Vick did himself a few favours with this performance and may have forced his way into the Canes 23 going forward. Now to wrap up this week, as always, I have my shower thought, and the mini footy epiphany for this week is around the need-to-ground tackling rule. With the game's current set of laws, a player must be released by the tackler should his knees touch the ground whilst in possession of the ball. Now, with being a smaller guy myself, I'm not opposed to this as it makes it easier for me to keep the ball in my side's hands. However, I'm also of the opinion it should be the ball carrier's responsibility to make his way to ground, and that if the pill is up off the turf, then it's fair game. If a player chooses to carry high, and the tackler does a good enough job to keep the tacklee or the ball up, he should be rewarded for making that play, even if a knee is on the ground. As per though, give this passage some thought, and if you feel like having a yarn about it, please do reach out. Now I also thought I'd update you guys with some of the changes that's going to be happening with my social media stuff, where if you are following my Facebook or Instagram pages, you'll know that every Tuesday I upload my meat pie of the week, where I break down the little one percenters that ultimately led to that try being scored. Now unfortunately for me, all of the videos that were uploaded to Instagram were reported, and Instagram pretty much told me that if I get caught uploading content that I don't have a license to use that I run the risk of having my page getting suspended so I'm gonna have to stop doing that and fill that with something else which will be a surprise for you all come Tuesday this week so 
Again, if you aren't already following those pages on Instagram and Facebook, please go and do so now. And one of the other things I'm also looking to do going forward is incorporate more te reo with my podcast, obviously being a proud Māori male myself. And so to sort of help with that, I'm going to be having a kupu for the week, a, a word of the week. And for, I guess, my first segment or my first attempt at this, I've gone for a simple word in rugby, where in te reo it is poro. Now the reasoning behind me obviously wanting to do this is that on top of obviously wanting Māori to be more commonly spoken both in social settings and throughout Aotearoa and the world full stop, I thought it would also be a cool way to sort of give you guys some kupu, some words to incorporate into your own rugby chat so that again you help with the prosperity of our beautiful language. Anyway though, I will leave you guys with that and yeah, I'll catch you guys all next Monday. Hey, te wiki.